I definitely think that growth can be as detrimental to a business as not having enough business. If you don't manage that growth well, it can capsize your organization. So it has been a constant tension in the, in the story of Belay to manage crazy rates of growth with consistent service and quality. Well, hey there, my name is Alex Judd. I'm the founder of Path for Growth, and this is the Path for Growth podcast. Y'all, I am so beyond excited about today's episode because as you know, our mission here at Path for Growth is to help impact-driven leaders step into who they were created to be so that others may benefit and God may be glorified. And up to this point, we've been doing that through content episodes. And we've said that our objective for those content episodes is to be as efficient as possible with providing you principles and practices in under 25 minutes that you can take to the office and use starting today. And it's been so cool to see how y'all have responded to that. Uh, We've been hearing stories about how you've taken those concepts, how you've taken those practices, and you've actually put them to work. And that's, that's at the core of my mission statement as a person, but it's also at the core of our company is we want to produce stuff that people can take action on and find purpose in. So we're pumped about that. But one of the things that we're also really excited about is the fact that this medium, the podcast format, gives us the opportunity to introduce all of you to people that I'm learning from personally, to people that are informing the direction of our business, to people that are experts and authorities and thought leaders and authors and CEOs, mentors and friends, to people that really I look up to personally, and now we get to share their voice, share their experience, share their lessons and principles with all of you. Y'all, ah, it just gets me so hyped. It gets me so amped that we get to do this. And so that's what we're going to do on these interview episodes. We're going to be releasing them every once in a while. Anytime we get to sit down with someone that we just look up to, absolutely admire and respect the way that they think about the world, the way that they think about leadership, and the way that they run and own their business. And so we're throwing the 25-minute thing out the window for these interviews because we want to sit down with these people. And really, my goal whenever I prep for these conversations and study these individuals and write questions that I really want to make sure we get answered for all of you and, quite frankly, selfishly for myself, we've got three objectives. Number one is we want to get to know their story. Number two is we want to learn from their perspective because perspective is one of the most valuable things on the planet. And number three is that we want to get past surface level as fast as possible. My goal is not to have any surface level, shallow interviews on this podcast. No, we want to get to the gold. We want to get to the substance. We want to get to the depth of really what makes these people tick and what makes them run. Boy, have we accomplished those objectives for this conversation today. That's because our guest is Shannon Miles. And Shannon, many of you may know her. She's the co-founder of Belay. Belay provides virtual bookkeeping, virtual assistance, and virtual staffing for businesses around the country. And she helped start that business alongside her husband, Brian. And they've now grown it to the point where it has over a thousand virtual team members spread all across the country. And the way that they're serving and making an impact on businesses of all sizes is just insane. 
But here's what's even crazier. In the process of building this business, they've now raised up a CEO that runs the business. Her name's Trisha, and she's an absolute rock star. And that's granted them the opportunity and the freedom to be able to now own and start a brewery, which I've been there, NoFo Brewing, seriously killer beer, and the way that they run it as a business with a thriving team culture and a plan for what they're doing with it moving forward. Just unbelievable. And now they also have a platform called Own Not Run in which they teach and lead business owners to not be run by their business, but to actually own their business as an asset. There are so many um, really practical tactics that Shannon shares in this conversation that were helpful for me personally, and I know they're going to add value to you. But I think even more powerful than all of that is how she gets into the mindset and the why and the purpose behind the things that she does every single day. I learned so much from this conversation. I think one of the biggest things for me really is kind of the centerpiece of the conversation. I always think about Shannon as someone that is abundance mindset, always thinking about a future that is better than where we are today and striving to create that future for herself, for her family, and for other people. What's crazy is that that mindset focused on abundance is not something that came naturally. It was learned and developed. I definitely grew up with a scarcity mindset. So my current mindset of abundance and possibility has been learned and tested over time. So to give you illustration, when I was a kid, My parents divorced when I was four. My stepdad Mm -hmm. was in the military. We moved a lot. And, you know, my parents had enough to make ends meet. I don't think I realized that we were poor until I got older and then reflected on how we were raised. And it's like, oh, yeah, not everybody has to, like, scrape together coins to buy bread. That was just our reality, you know. Um, And so... Also, my mom was raised with a scarcity mindset in the sense that my grandparents grew up through the Depression. And so my grandmother would rewash Ziploc baggies and reuse foil and yell at me if I only, you know, used half the tissue. Like, so I was just raised that way, that you make the most of everything because you don't know when it's going to run out. Really? And so that, I mean, for a large part of your life, that was the mindset that you operated with was that we, we might not have enough. Yeah, because oftentimes we didn't. And so it wasn't until I went to college and met Brian, who, as you know, <laughs> is like a force of nature, right? And there's nothing that you present Brian Miles with that he can't figure out a way to make happen. Um, I feel like there's a lot of people in life that their story takes a turn whenever they use the phrase, and then I met Brian Miles, I feel like. <laughs> yeah, that should be the next podcast. Like, we should do that podcast. Yes, we absolutely should. Before and after of like his interactions with people. I mean, I was a baby. I was 17 when I met him. Hmm. So, you know, I'm still growing up at that point and figuring out what it is to be my own person. And, you know, then we're quickly in a relationship. We got married two years later when I was 19. So we say we raised each other. And so Brian always, from the very beginning, just cast really big vision. I mean, the first interaction I ever had with him, he's like, I love to travel. Like, I would love to travel the world. You know, mm. like, I like this guy. He's cool, you know? Yeah, so, that's like, Okay, but that's interesting, though, because I feel like... Um, 
a lot of times if you take a hyper abundance minded person and someone that is more of a scarcity minded person naturally, a lot of times that does not result in mutual admiration or certainly love. A lot of times they just end up really, really angry at each other. So what what was the difference maker in this case, Shannon? I think I found that mindset attractive. I think that I... Um, have always been a very optimistic glass half full kind of person. So I had to always reconcile that scarcity mindset of growing up with like, but being positive and seeing the bright side of things. And, you know, and even just putting myself in situations, either through the jobs that I pursued or going to college, like I was always willing to try to, to get more and do more and be more than what I was raised with. And so I think just, meeting Brian and knowing like he was somebody that I could trust. He wasn't recklessly risky, but Mm. um, definitely wanted to, to grow and expand as a person. And then, you know, with me by his side. So I think in our early days of being married, we did navigate the tension of he was quick to change things and always wanted to, to, you know, try new things, take new jobs, whatever. And I still needed some, you know, layer of stability to grow from. And so those were some tensions early on in our relationship, but and we'll get there, I'm sure in this talk, but like pursuing business together, God just showed up over and over again saying, no, you can be more abundant in your mindset. You don't have to be so scared and operate from this place of below the line, you know, I have big things for you. And so proving that through different risks that we took has, has really helped shift my mindset too. Yeah. Uh, honestly, Shannon, just hearing you say that you grew up not with an abundance mindset, like it's almost a little bit jaw dropping for me because I think like, okay, she's telling me how she grew up literally scraping, hoping they can get enough for bread. And then that's the same person that cashed out her 401k to start a company that they didn't know whether or not it was going to work. So it's like, I mean, between those two time periods, right? Growing up to cashing out your 401k from a really, what what appeared to be at the time, a really, really stable job and a really, really strong salary and mm-hmm. a lot of upward trajectory. Had the, had the mindset shift fully occurred at that time or were you still in process, do you think? Um. I think we're always in process, right? But I definitely think that mindset was still in process too. There was a a supernatural comfort that I had with starting Belay with Brian Mm -hmm. that didn't even fully make sense to me at the time. You know, like if you put it all out on paper in the column, like why you should do it and why you shouldn't do it. The why you shouldn't do a column was so much bigger. (laughs) And so there was just really, I don't know, there was just this really bizarre comfort and faith in taking that risk. And I think that um, for the 10 years of my profession before we started the company, I took different roles within the corporation that I was with. And each of those roles, I knew exactly where I was going to go next. It was almost like God was directing my path and I was, you know, moving from one opportunity to the next. And I I got to the point in that company where there just was no next step for me. And that was a really weird, I thought I was going to retire from there. Wow. Really? So that was the mindset that you were operating under is that this is going to be the place that I work at for the rest of my life. 
Yeah. Like somebody has got to have health insurance, right? Like Brian may want to start something and I may support him in it, but like, we can't both quit our jobs, right? That'd be crazy. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so um, when I kind of came to that crossroads of not being able to find something else within that organization that was a good fit for me, I realized like the, the change that I was being called to, to make was way bigger than just the next position there or the next position in a similar company. Mm-hmm. And um, so I think we definitely had financial security. We had been able to get out of debt, you know, in part to you know, Dave Ramsey's organization and going to church and tithing for the first time. And so there was definitely some security built into being able to take that leap. Yeah. But it was definitely still, um, yeah, cashing in the 401k was a big risk then. Yeah, no kidding. I mean, just hearing you talk about it, it's like you simultaneously say that Brian and also yourself, you're not taking reckless risks. Mm -hmm. And then literally two sentences later, you say that the line of reasons why we shouldn't do it is way longer than the line of reasons why we should. Uh, But but I it kind of strikes me. I know that you and Brian, and I've benefited from this, y'all are hyper invested in mentoring the next generation and advising people who are entrepreneurial and things like that. Shannon, how do you help people at, like understand and really define whether the next step or, or the next leap is reckless risk or is it faith? Because it seems like the line can be super ambiguous sometimes. So true. Great point. I think that you have to be married to the idea of being an entrepreneur and having your own business more than you have to be married to an idea around your passion or your particular service. Because there are so many times in business where we launch something and we think it's going to be like the next great thing. And guess what? (laughs) Nobody wants to buy it. So what are you going to do then? Right? So I think it's it's validating that you're really ready to make this leap for a lifestyle change and not just, hey, I've got this passion that I want to try to rally people to buy. Um, oh, that's good. Because that means that the faith is not just required in the initial decision, like you're opting in for a lifetime of faith at that point. Yeah. I mean, I <laughs> you can probably speak to this more than I can. <laughs> well, I don't know about more. I've got about three months experience. But that's what I'm saying. Could you ever imagine going back and working for somebody right now? Uh, oh yeah. I mean, I think it was, it was either you or Brian that looked at me after month one and I was having a conversation and you just said, uh, you're ruined now, just so you know, like you can't ever go back now. And it re- I mean, it really does to a degree feel a little bit like that burning of the bridges moment. Yeah. <laughs> And you gotta be I mean, it also feels like you could end up living under a bridge at some time if you're not careful. But <laughs> that- and that's the other piece of you know advice I would give to, and we do to business, you know, or professionals who are trying to decide should I go out and do my own thing. Is can you live with the worst case scenario? Like, can you live with the idea that this might fail, or that for us, like we could have blown through all of our 401ks, not had a viable business model and had to go back to work. Like, is that okay with you? And if not, then you might want to consider if you're ready to take that risk. What ultimately gave you the courage to be able to take that risk, Shannon? Really, a lot of it was was running the worst case scenario. You know, we were in our early 30s. Well, he was, he was 35, I was 32. 
Our kids were two and five. And we had this $160,000 401k sitting there. We thought, okay, let's say we do this and it works great. Awesome. Let's say it doesn't. Let's say we blew through all this money. We decided not to take on outside debt. So we would only be hurting ourselves if we didn't succeed. Lord willing, we could recoup. You know, we had time to then, you know, rebuild that retirement savings and Leave, we try to leave our jobs really well so that we could either go back or find something similar and get a good recommendation. We we played out the worst case scenario. And at the end of the day, once we you know really thought about it, prayed about it, sought wise counsel about it, it became riskier not to do it because we were, mm. we were being so compelled to do it. And, uh, isn't it like, isn't it true that after, after you left, like within a matter of years, the, the large stable company that you were working for, like no longer exists. Isn't that right? So, yeah. We don't always talk about this, but it's, it's banana. So. <laughs> okay. Well, sorry <laughs> to bring that up, but I hope that's okay. No, I love talking about it. It's just we don't have the time, but yeah, it's crazy. So I was working for McKesson, which is a huge medical, you know, pharmaceutical distribution. My division was medical software. And within about 18 months of me leaving, they laid off over half of my department. And I was the only part-time person working and I would have been gone for sure, without a doubt. So that would have been my job there. And then about another two years after that, Brian's company that he left, a 40-year-old church construction company, completely shut its doors. Mm. So I think we hold on to things sometimes thinking that they are the measure of security and comfort. Um, but we really we can't always rely on companies to always be there or roles to always be there, you know? And I think if you're being compelled or called or whatever you want to call it to start something of your own as an entrepreneur, you have to also think about what if this job wasn't here, you know, like, does that help you make it easier for you to go? And it's almost like you can't afford not to take the next right step. Like it's it's almost too risky and it shifts the way you view risk in that way. Um, mm-hmm. Okay, so if if scarcity and kind of the mindset surrounding that is one that's driven by a fear of not having enough and you've kind of gone to a degree, this internal transformation and, and maybe it's a little bit of a process too. I think we're all in process. But what is an abundance mindset motivated by? Like when you are operating from a posture of abundance, Shannon, how are you thinking? What are you motivated by? What's the purpose behind it? I'm motivated by what I believe to be the truth that everything is God's. Mm. And we are allowed to be conduits for him. And so if we don't consume everything that he's given us and we are generous and we are um, responsible and we are, you know, living within our means and really trying to leverage what he's chosen to flow through us for the benefit and sake of other people. That to me is abundance. You know, I, growing up the way I did, I always almost viewed money as, as evil, like, uh, you know, people who had a lot of money, were probably really selfish. They probably had to, you know, walk all over people to get it. It was those poor people who were really generous and living on the edge all the time. That those were God's people, right? Mm. It wasn't until 
I got older and really started to interact with people who didn't live that way or who um, really used what God gave them for the sake of others. And I thought, maybe it's better that, you know, you do the right thing with what God's given you. And, and that's why he creates this abundance in you so that you can just be that conduit. Like I had to go through this phase of like, if not me, then who? Yeah. That's so true. It's like someone, someone's going to do this. And the question is, is like, you've been given all these resources, like you've been given the ability. And so it's kind of, I love that question. If not me, then who? I, I mean, that is a, it's so interesting. I feel like I talk to more and more people my age today that the biggest limiting factor in their life that may be a little bit of an exaggeration, but it's okay. I love exaggerating. One of the biggest limiting factors in their life is their perception and relationship with money. Mm-hmm. Uh, like how, how do you wrestle with that or how do you deal with that? Or how do you find a good, a good center on that, Shannon? I'll just tell you my journey. You know, we graduated from college with a lot of debt and jobs that we could not afford to pay that debt off for. And we had a ton of credit card debt, made a lot of bad financial decisions early on. And it wasn't until we got serious about the give, save, live model of money. Like, first of all, the acknowledgement that it's God's, it's all his, and he may choose to let you have some and he may not, you know? Um, But if you give, save, live, so give first, save second and live on the rest, it can totally transform your finances. So we were able to get out of a ton of debt. We stopped fighting about money. We started saving and it transformed our possibilities. It transformed our relationship. It transformed our views on generosity and consumption. And I don't think if we hadn't gone through that transition that we would be where we are right now. I don't think God would have trusted us with the resources and assets that he's given us now had we not gotten that right so many years ago. Man, and that relates directly to this topic of stewardship. Um, so you launched the company, and uh, I mean, I think pretty pretty rapidly it, it started going well, right? Like you weren't confronted by worst case scenario or anything close after y'all started. Is that correct, Shannon? We... I mean, we definitely tried some things that didn't work, but the two sticky things that are still services now were the virtual assistant and bookkeeping offerings that have been and and will continue to be our bread and butter. And so those did get traction early on. And that's where we saw a lot of our early growth. Um, And we start, we turned a profit at 14 months. At 14 months. So at 14 months, uh, you, you know, you spent all this time literally preparing for worst case scenario, and now suddenly, fourteen months, you're profitable, and this is actually looking like a pretty good scenario. Was it w- like, did it was it a mental struggle for you to actually start getting ahead of the business at that point because you hadn't really spent a ton of time necessarily mentally preparing for for the best case scenario? Yeah. Well, I'm speaking from my perspective. Brian was always thinking best case scenario. (laughs) (laughs) Knew this thing was going to work day one, right? Um, No, I I definitely think that growth can be as detrimental to a business as not having enough business. Um, Because if you don't manage that growth well, it can capsize your organization. So it has been a constant tension in the, in the story of Belay to manage um, crazy rates of growth with 
consistent service and quality, like you mentioned, you know, yeah, and I want us to dive into a lot of that too, but, but yeah. you, that is a tension that you have felt this whole process. Absolutely. I don't know that we'll never not feel that, mm-hmm. you know, because I think another tension that kind of goes hand in hand with that is, is knowing who you are as an organization and what you provide, but also constantly innovating and trying new things to make it better. And so there's that push and pull of, well, we know who we are and we know what works, but what if there's a different way and a better way to do it? What if we can do it in an innovative fashion? What new things should we be pursuing? And I think that kind of goes hand in hand with, with growth and quality. Like, you know, you're growing as an organization and you want to continue that growth, but you don't want to grow past your ability to deliver the service that got you to grow to begin with. That Yes, that's absolutely right. But there's so many stories out there where the, the, the individual, the leader or the group of leaders that started the organization are incapable of sustaining the organization. Like, the, I mean, it seems like the skill set for founding is way different than the skill set for operationalizing and building. It's just crazy to me that y'all have been able to do both. Like you have, you started it, you were there on day one. And at the same time, you're still behind sustaining it. Uh, what do you attribute that to? Like, how do you constantly stay on top of it in that way, Shannon? The constant pursuit of knowledge. I mean, we have often said, none of us at Belay has ever done this before. So we have to learn from others, you know? And I mean, you you saw us as on that journey, you know, learning from <laughs> other organizations and, you know, seeking out larger companies or more advanced leaders that um, had been where we were hoping to go. And um, we adopted the mantra of replacing ourselves early on in the business and really recognizing that a lot of leaders do have a hard time evolving with the business. And we just didn't want to be those leaders. You know, we wanted to replace ourselves and, and use the growth as an opportunity to have a leadership pipeline that allowed other people to grow and shine. And oftentimes that that worked out really well, but just like, you know, any individual, you can, you can find the lid and and the organization sometimes needs to evolve past that particular leader. And that was a hard thing to accept because, you know, we're building this thing together as a young scrappy leadership team and you want everybody to be there indefinitely, but that's just not necessarily how it always works. Um, So yeah, working through all that too has definitely been a learning experience. Yeah, certainly. Um, I've seen this, honestly, I've seen this for myself just in the first three months. I've seen how it can be so tempting to, to get caught up in sustaining what we've now built and just being so excited about what we've now built that in, in just servicing that I end up hamstringing the thing that actually got, got us here, which is growth, right? Which is an investment in growth. So how, like, how did you make sure you didn't get drowned by the responsibilities that you had of sustaining Belay where it was so that you could invest time, energy, money, resources into making sure you were becoming the leader that Belay was going to need in the future? Mm, Such a good question. I think it's a parallel track for sure. for me as a leader, I always found it was important to develop leaders and develop myself at the same time. So you're internally focused on what are my shortcomings? What are my barriers? What am I doing that I shouldn't be doing that really needs to be turned over to somebody else? And also looking 
outward and saying, you know, how are the leaders that are working for me? How are they developing? You know, what are the things that they're doing that they shouldn't be doing? What are the new roles that need to be created in the organization that often felt like, man, are we ready for this role? Like, is it, is it too soon? Right. You know, is it too soon to bring on this hire, this team member outsource this thing? And it, Do you it, most it, of the time have that question? Because that question is in everyone's t- in mind, I feel like, whenever they hire someone. We get asked that all the time. How do you know when it's the right time to make a hire? When do you make your first hire? How do you know when to bring on so many operations? Like, it's a thing that every growing business struggles with. And I mean, oftentimes what we see is people waiting too long. And then, you know, whoever they bring on is having to pick up the pieces of the leader waiting too long to expand their team. We try to hire ahead of the work, you know, another tension to manage, right? Like you've got to have enough to justify a role, but you can't let it get so far gone that there's no way anybody coming in can be successful in it. You know? Yeah. That's right. That and and it's like that's a horrible onboarding process. If the first ninety days is just picking up the trash that the organization has left behind, yeah. that's not exactly a good. That's not exactly a good onboarding experience. It's short sighted. It's short sighted. It's it's scarcity, right? Let's go back mm-hmm. to scarcity versus abundance. Well, I can't hire this person because I can't afford them right now, or I just don't know if I'm going to keep having the same level of growth next month. So, what if I bring somebody on and I have to let them go, right? That's scarcity. Abundance. I will be able to take on so much more business if I make this higher. We're too late. Let's hire them now. Well, yeah. And you're betting, you're betting on the mission. You're betting on the organization. You're betting on the hire and your ability to hire in that way, instead of just betting on the worst case scenario. It's just, it's crazy to, I mean, this is the, this is the girl that was scratching to hope that she had enough to buy bread is now advocating that everyone hire before they can justify it. Like that's just that. I mean, that's a remarkable testament to the internal work that you've done, Shannon. Um, I, I am, and you know this because I I feel like I tell you and this uh, you and Brian this every chance I get. I, like I am now such a Belay fan, and the primary reason why her name is Lane Finnegan. Uh, she's my assistant, and oh my gosh, I swear I, she came on board probably about two weeks before everything was about to blow up in my face, mm-hmm. and she just completely rescued me. I I swear we should we we could give her the title of CEO, and and she could wear that hat well. She's just unbelievable. Um, But, but uh, honestly, in walking through the process with Lane and with Tori, who was my coordinator, and she's just unbelievable too. Mm -hmm. Like she's such a rock star. And then I I work with y'all for my bookkeeping as well. The, The biggest question that I've had that I just literally was biting at the bit to ask you is, I mean, y'all have been growing so rapidly. I, I think uh, the ink list of fastest growing companies six years in a row or something, right? So yes. you've been growing rapidly, <laughs> but my, yes, that's right. Congratulations. That's awesome. It's huge. Yeah. Um, but but it just, it strikes me that in the midst of all that growth, so many companies sacrifice quality. And my experience with Belay has just been that quality has been off the charts and, Mm -hmm. and it's something in the hiring, it's something in the training. So I just want to know, how did y'all build something that could sustain such rapid growth while not compromising quality? What is behind that, Shannon? 
Yeah, I'm glad that you've had that experience. And that's certainly what we aim for in every interaction. Do we knock it out of the park 100% of the time? No, we're in the people business and we don't make widgets. That's what we've always said. We don't make widgets. Yeah. We <laughs> that's right. <laughs> um, we've always tried to err on the side of relationship and making sure that um, we're resourcing and equipping our team to deliver white glove high quality, top tier service. And it's, you know, definitely eaten into profitability over time. It's definitely caused us to have to staff up significantly to deliver that. It's once again, another tension to manage, you know, you you always want to be able to automate and, you know, use technology for different things, but we also have a high relational element to what we do. And I think if I could, advise somebody who's trying to decide, you know, do I have growth or do I have quality? You know, just think about how you would want to be treated as your customer. You know, what would you want your experience to be? So we've tried to constantly view our decisions through the lens of what is our customer experiencing through this? And our customer too is is somebody like you who is the business owner and it's Lane. She's our customer just as much as, as you. So always constantly thinking about that and, and knowing that we are not going to be the solution for everybody mm-hmm. and being okay with that, but really knowing who we are and what sets us apart in the marketplace and not compromising that and not diluting that and trying to just get all the business, but getting the right business. I, I love that you highlight that idea of we're not going to be the solution for everybody because it, it, at the same time that it's been amazing um, working with Lane and working with Nicole, the bookkeeper and all of that, it was a, a time investment on okay. the front end. Like it, it took a lot to get up and running with them. Now it's like I have another person that's helping me run this business, which is just such a gift, but it took an investment. And I know for a fact, or at least I would assume that there are certain business owners that love the idea of having an assistant as their right-hand person, but they're not willing to sacrifice the time in the short term for that long term. And, and I assume that's just someone that you look at and you say, okay, well, they weren't willing to invest the time. So it turns out they're not our person. Yeah. Uh, did, did it take a while to reach that conclusion? Because it sounds like, I mean, that's a, there's a level of maturity around the business that it takes to be like, you're not our customer and that's okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, did it take some time to develop that Shannon? Well, when we first started 10 years ago, the idea of working virtual, especially in the vertical that we were targeting, which is churches and pastors was very foreign. It was more accepted on the bookkeeping side, but the idea of a pastor having a virtual assistant or, you know, fast forward 18 months into our business, a business owner having a virtual assistant, that was a big hurdle to overcome. People just weren't working virtually like they are now. And so that was probably our biggest barrier, not so much the, I don't have time to train somebody, but like, I just don't get this virtual thing. We're like, that's cool. We're not for everybody, you know, like we, tr- that we, you know, trial and error, we try to make it work sometimes and coach around it. And sometimes we b- would be successful, but we just started to learn those things that made a prospect, um, made us know if a prospect was going to be successful with us or not. Like, were they able to jump that hurdle and, and wrap their heads around the virtual model? Um, the, the, 
a red flag that we see in our sales cycle sometimes is, well, you know, Alex said I need a virtual assistant. So I guess I'm calling you guys. And it's like, well, I mean, that's awesome. <laughs> I love Alex and I appreciate the referral, but like you got to have enough business to turn over to somebody to make it worth your time and your money. Otherwise yeah. you're not going to value, right? Yeah. Um, so I, you know, my thing that I think has made Belay, one of the things that, that's made Belay successful is the things that we do through Belay are the things that we needed when we were getting our business started. The very mm. first thing we ever outsourced was a five-hour week virtual assistant, right? That, that's the first person that we brought on our team besides Brian and I when we were all in on this thing. The second thing we outsourced was our bookkeeping. Third thing we outsourced was our website. Or things, social media. Those are the things that we do. Those are just the things that businesses need help with. And I think if we consistently over time hedgehog, you know, do the right thing and deliver that high quality of service, the business will come. Mm, I love that. And you already alluded to the fact that, um, I mean, the product that you're selling by nature, it's it's not it's not software, right? And it's it's not a computer program that people. Uh, it's it's a relationship with a human being, which there are probably more variables in that than just about any other thing that you can sell. And I'm sure there's some great stories around all of that okay. that you could probably go into. But one of the things that I've been struck by, and in talking to some some of the other people that work with Belay as well, that I've noticed is that. That, uh, you've struck this great balance and gosh, we could probably rename this episode just, just managing the tension because I would assume it's a tension. Mm. You've struck this great balance of Lane that she follows a very, I mean, what is clearly a process that is established by Belay that is kind of like the Belay way of doing things. And there are standards and principles and values that she adheres to um, that really fit into kind of what I would assume to be Belay's model. And at the same time, Lane is still free to be Lane. And she operates as an autonomous human being. So she's productive with regard to the organization. At the same time, she's making decisions and has the freedom and the autonomy to to be herself. Uh, That's a really hard mix, it seems like. And then you extrapolate that across what's like a thousand VAs or something like that now. How do you go about creating that combination where you, you give people autonomy and humanity, but at the same time, you've got structure and process? Mm. We approach it with the mindset of everybody coming to work with us is an adult and we trust that they know how to do the job. Now, will they know every software application? Will they know every system? No, but we look for people who are resourceful and are self-starters. And we try very hard on the front end, not to let, not to partner with anybody who we know won't be successful down the road. Mm -hmm. And so it's weeding out those who are not a good fit very early on, even before the first conversation. We've just learned over time what to look for, what the knockout question should be, you know, how we structure our interviews. We're not selling anybody on coming to work for us. Like we bring on about 2% of the applicants that come on board. So we've just, it's, it's a constant process, just like any business owner, like refining your systems figuring out what worked before and doing more of it, figuring out what didn't work and putting a, a you know a parameter in place so you don't do that again. And, and it's just over time having dedicated team members that wake up every day thinking, how can we find the best possible 
candidates to serve our clients because it is a privilege to get clients like you. And we want our our team members that we pair with you to be the best possible people. And and so yeah, it's that. And then it's on the other side, it's the relationship manager, uh sorry, CSC, uh client success consultant. Ah, I don't know. We changed, I'm sorry. <laughs> of things I am right now, right? Uh, but Tori, who you mentioned, is your is your person on there. So it's not just, hey, Alex, meet Lane. Good luck. Call us if you need anything. It's, hey, here's our process for onboarding you as our client, and Lane is your assistant. And we're going to constantly resource, equip, and check in, and guide, and provide best practices, and be a trusted advisor throughout the duration of the relationship. And that makes me really proud about what we do because even if someday you take a different direction and you're not a you know belay client anymore, our hope is that we've left you better than we found you and that we've worked <laughs> together and you know that we've we've set you up for success in the future. Yeah, well, I'm not sure I would still exist if you didn't find me. So you've definitely left me better than than when you, <laughs> you found can't me. Go that was more of like a metaphor of like other people. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. Uh, but I mean, it's so funny. Like I, I just, I think it's so cool that you're operating at a level now where you have the luxury of being able to forget the acronym, Shannon. Like I think that's so cool. I'm not proud of that, Alex. Well, I mean, no, I think that's freaking awesome because it just means that you're able to spend some time opening a brewery now, which you have done and y'all are creating own, not run and all this. So that's another one of the questions that, uh, that I'm really curious about, but I know I've talked to business leaders about this before is that it's like, okay, I've, I've grown the muscle of being able to discern whether or not someone's a rock star in the hiring process, right? And I can do that. And then they start to move up levels in the organization where they're no longer in the hiring room. They're no longer asking the questions. They're no longer doing 90% of the interviews. And so they want to grow that muscle in others, but that's a really hard skill. I would imagine, Shannon, you are not involved in a lot of interviews for Belay anymore. Is that correct? I have not been involved in interviews for Belay for about six years. <laughs> I'm not kidding. Part of, I don't know. Part of it is um, me bringing on like old like business colleagues or friends and then they didn't work out. And I was like, I don't want to be involved with <laughs> in that anymore. <laughs> I don't want to play my card for that. You know, but also the whole notion of replacing yourself, like we talked about earlier, like you just get to a certain point where I'm actually not the most knowledgeable person in the room for the vast majority of functions in the business. Like if you're doing it right, you become the person who's asking your team. So how do we do that now? What is, what is our process for? And so you become, um, I think I can say irrelevant and that's fair in certain aspects of the business, um, where you're no, no longer the expert. It's evolved past your need to be involved in that. Gosh, that's now one of my goals is that I one day want to forget what an acronym is for Path for Growth. Like I want that to be something that I'm so far removed. That would be, that's, that's a, that's a BHAG goal. I like that. Um, (laughs) But have you had to train or maybe it's, maybe it's not even something you focus on specifically. Maybe it's something that develops over time just whenever they're immersed in the culture. But, but how, 
I guess what I'm trying to figure out is, is how do you train people to notice the type of people that you want on board and to make sure they're not making haphazard hiring decisions that you scale that across a thousand VAs and suddenly your company is 25% less effective than it used to be. Mm, Okay. I'm with you now. I think a big key to success in that arena of our business is connection between our departments in the organization Mm. so that a bad hire is not in a vacuum. Oh, that's interesting. Our sales team is aware. Our CSCs are aware. Our talent acquisition team is aware. Our contractor services team is aware so that we can learn together. And there's an accountability, like it goes on the sales side too. So like if our sales team sells a customer that they should have known was not going to be a good fit because of all the, you know, they didn't have the money. They didn't understand how to work virtually. They were a jerk. We have a no jerk policy, like whatever. (laughs) They let a bad prospect become a client. They are interfacing with the the team that has to then onboard that client. And so then they'll have a debrief and say, we, we had to terminate this agreement and here's why. What can we do in the future to make sure that this doesn't happen again? Like, was there a misalignment in expectations? Did we market it wrong? Let's get our marketing team involved. Are we, are we targeting the wrong types of prospects that are, you know what I'm saying? So it's connection across all of the departments and we're all holding each other accountable to get this right. Mm, I love that. And and the pronoun there is correct. It's we we are holding each other accountable. That that's one of the things that I've thought of. The way that we are structured right now is I've got I've got someone that she leads what we call a growth group and she's coaching that growth group, but see she's also the individual that sold the people into that growth group. So I've thought about to myself, like, okay, well, that model's not necessarily gonna scale. But uh so one of the questions that I've had is how do you make sure that you get the person that's selling them in? Uh, in such a way that they're selling the right people in that the coach can actually work with. And it's what you're talking about is the two almost have to be accountable to each other. And you got to create those open lines of communication. Is that right, Shannon? Yes. And a constant feedback loop, a constant questioning and curiosity and evaluation. Is what we're doing right? Is it working? What needs to change? And bringing your different departments into that discussion is key. If you have silos in your organization, you will inevitably create a bad customer experience. It's just impossible not to. Mm. And I think that goes to my next question, which is like, how do you create rhythms of healthy accountability? Like what does healthy accountability actually look like? And are there specific lessons that you've learned around this idea of accountability in a fast growing organization, Shannon? Every, you know, not everybody, but a lot of people hate on meetings, right? A lot of people hate on meetings. (laughs) Death by meeting. Meetings, if they're done right, can be a super effective tool for having those lines of communication open and creating those feedback loops. So what that looks like at Belay is each of our managers have one-on-ones that may be weekly, bi-weekly, whatever. It's reviewing the key metrics for that individual during those times while also recognizing you're working with a human. How was your weekend? Um, and, <laughs> and, you know, our, our management team gets together at a certain cadence. Our leadership team gets together. I think it's every week. And, and our leadership de- team at Belay is representative of every discipline 
in the organization. So everybody has a voice at the table and they'll think through what the agenda needs to be in advance. You know, maybe there's a process that we've identified that's gotten really complicated because as you know, the tendency for organizations as they grow over time, they get more complex. You have to fight for that simplicity. So those are the kinds of things that the lead team is evaluating on those calls. And, um, our CEO is being coached by John Falcons at Entree Leadership, and he recommended <laughs> you guys really need to have monthly stand-up meetings. Like I know, like yeah, they did that there or do that there, whatever. We're all virtual. Our our team of ninety some belay employees, we, we all work remote, and it's not that we haven't been meeting. We have, but we weren't meeting everybody every week. It was about every month or every six weeks. And so those Monday meetings have been really important to align the organization, especially now when everything's changing so rapidly and we've had to ride some waves in our business, making sure that everybody is aligned and um, we're investing in them globally on a weekly basis has, has been really nice too. So using those meetings really strategically, I think any business owner can implement that. Yeah. And I love that you just highlighted the fact too, that, that you now have a CEO of Belay that isn't you, um, which is pretty crazy. That transition happened. Was it, I mean, was it over a year ago now, Shannon? It, well, 2020 feels like it's been five years. And, <laughs> and so it was just January 1st, 2020. <laughs> that is amazing. Boy, she's getting a great trial run. As she's having a great first year, right? Have you just constantly been telling her it's not always like this, I promise? I mean, she's been with us since day one. So if you remember, I said the five-hour week virtual assistant was our first hire. That is our current CEO. So she's seen... Which that's amazing. I mean, just that is so cool that that the person that started as you and Brian's VA as you were building Belay is now the CEO of this company that has a thousand VAs. That's so cool. She's doing such a remarkable job. And let me clarify that thousand team members is like all people's bookkeepers. I don't want to overstate our numbers and we might be a little less. You now. didn't overstate it. I overstated it. So you're fine. It's a spiritual <laughs> gift. That's what I always say. <laughs> but it is, it is cool. We, you know, the whole idea of replacing ourselves, a lot of the ways that we've done that is promoting from within. And Trisha is a beautiful illustration of that. And talk about somebody who's been able to grow personally and professionally as the organization has grown. She's just proven herself over and over again. So when we made the transition to her being CEO, we knew nine months, 10 months prior that that was our desire. So this is a plan that's been in place since spring of 2019. And we worked together to set her up for success and make sure that we were removing any roadblocks that would get in her way of being successful and equipping her. And so when we made that transition, we were planning on like the best year ever, right? Like a lot of business (laughs) owners, 2020 was supposed to be amazing. And then, you know, the pandemic happened. And what we decided to do during that time is it would have been really tempting to jump back in Mm. to the business and take over. You and Brian, correct? But you and Brian just swooped back in. That's right. Because Brian and I were co-CEOs and we turned over that role to her. And it would have been really tempting for Brian and I to move back out of our chairman of the board seats into that CEO seat, just because it was a very, very scary time when we started losing business because our clients were 
Um, but we decided, no, this was not a short-term decision that we made. And we want to use this as an opportunity to elevate Trisha's leadership even more. So we got more connected with her and ramped up the frequency of communication and, you know, found different ways to support her that we hadn't otherwise planned on. But she was still the face of belay. She was still leading the team. She was the one in the weekly meeting. She was the one communicating the impact of our financials and resource decisions that we had to make. And she led masterfully during that season and is continuing to do so, do so, you know, we're still, you know, feeling the impact of things, but um, yeah, she is, she was the right leader for the season without a doubt. Mm. Uh, for everyone, it's not swooping in and saving the person they just appointed as CEO. But I know for a fact that there's a lot of leaders out there that have experienced that tug to swoop in and help someone on their team do their job because suddenly the world looks different today. Um, can you speak to the value of showing restraint and having enough self-control to say, we're going to, we're going to let them handle this and we're going to advise and we're going to help, but they get to lead this ship. I think that's a really wise thing to bring up because yeah, the idea of like moving out of the CEO box probably seems incomprehensible to a lot of people listening mm. right now. But and I think I, you would even say it's not, it's not. And I know this is what you you and Brian are super passionate about now is, is the part of the message you're trying to send people is it's not entirely incomprehensible, right? It's possible. Yeah. I mean, that's what own not run is all about and we can get into that later, but yeah, yeah. if, Maybe if you had told me early on in the business that that would be an ultimate plan, I would have said you're crazy because then what would I do? Um, (laughs) It's funny how it came with the evolution of of the business. But um, yeah, so if you think back even to some of, you know, early hires or, you know, promoting people to different roles that may be stretching them and let's say it wasn't perfect out the gate. Let's say they missed some expectations or weren't making their numbers or, had hiccups in their leadership, that doesn't mean you just pull them out of the position and you jump back in. Very often, it's an opportunity for coaching and growth. And and how did this happen? And what can we do in the future to not let it happen again? Like, is it a matter of you needing more resources? Is it a matter of unclear expectations? Like, let's keep working on this to make you successful so that I can continue to grow and focus on other things and therefore the organization can grow. I think when you are tempted as a leader to jump back in and fix a problem for somebody that works for you or, you know, oh, that didn't work. I guess I can't turn that over. I guess I am the only one who can do that. I think you're back in a position of limiting your organization's growth. Mm. What's the greatest lesson that you've learned uh, with regard to this whole transition with Trisha over the course of the past? I mean, what honestly seems like two years total for the transition. Yeah. yeah. Um, I've learned, I'll just speak for me personally. A lot of my identity is wrapped up in belay. It just is. It's just, it's been the last 10 years of my life. It's the story that I tell. It's it's my professional investment. It's our family's biggest asset. Like a lot of who I am is directly connected with that organization. And they knew it was going to be a, an untangling of that, turning over this role to Trisha. Um, but I think I underestimated uh, the emotional impact of that. 
Um, just because something's the right decision doesn't make it the easy decision. Yeah. And so, um, I think in this new season now where, you know, I'm almost nine months into not sitting in that seat, um, really discovering what my new passions are and where my new opportunities for growth are that are not connected to ballet. Mm. The way you talk about it, Shannon, it feels like you've gotten a lot of great practice for sending your kids off to college because it sounds like the same way parents talk about it. It's like you graduated ballet. I use that analogy. I can't (laughs) totally have used that analogy. And it's funny, which was affirmation that this was the right thing. Like you talk to a lot of parents and they have these high schoolers, these seniors in high school, and they get angsty. And they don't need their parents' involvement anymore. And they are ready to get out of the house. And nothing too extreme. But we started, Brian and I started to feel that. Like, we had empowered Trisha and our CFO, now COO, Lisa, so much that there were things that Belay needed to do that it's like, we don't need Brian and Shannon's input on anymore. Like, we just need to go do it, right? Mm. And so we had this, like, angsty senior year for a while. (laughs) (laughs) Belay was ready to go off to college. And it just wasn't quite time yet. So now it does feel like Belay is in its freshman year of college. And a lot of freshman years of college are roller coaster rides, right? Let's just hope Belay didn't join a fraternity. As long as it stays out of the fraternity, then we'll be okay. not hazing, I'll tell you that right Yeah, now. that's right. So related to that, we, we talked about guarding quality. I want to talk a little bit about guarding um, for something that's so personal, guarding the soul of an organization. Because you said at the beginning that part of your abundance mindset is rooted in the idea that you're building something that is meant to glorify God, that is meant to steward the resources that you've been given. There's a whole lot of purpose and a whole lot of almost intangible things that are wrapped into this that so often we see that when businesses grow rapidly and certainly when transitions happen, the transition of purpose doesn't happen with it. Um, so how have you ensured that the purpose and the heartbeat behind Belay gets transitioned along with all the other responsibilities and standards and things like that? We saw that transition taking place even before we stepped out of these roles. So we would over time take, we took a sabbatical last summer. So there were 90 days where we were not involved in the business at all. And we set parameters of what it would take to bring us back into the business. If X happened, then it's time to call Brian and Shannon. Um, And parameters that needed to be hit so that we could feel comfortable moving forward with Trisha in this role. So when I talk about it being, you know, nine, 10 months before we ever made the shift, we had proven over time that she was able to carry forth the purpose of the organization, keep the soul intact, move the core values forward, protect the culture and grow the business. So it, we saw it happening before our eyes, before we ever stepped away. I mean, for the first six months, so we were having monthly board meetings and ad hoc conversations because of all the, you know, Thing that we will not speak of, but <laughs> we still have, uh, you know, board meetings and advisory meetings where we're getting updates on various aspects of the business. And we're, we're just seeing the fruit of her leadership and, and knowing like, like affirming that it was the right call. So it was a process over time for sure. 
Gosh, that's so cool. I just love that. Um, we've already kind of hinted towards this quite a bit. One of the realizations uh, that I had short, shortly after getting to know both you and Brian is just it's almost like y'all have made this choice that your life is going to look different than most people. Um, and I'll never forget the first moment where it really clicked. I'll never forget this, Shannon. I was talking to your son. I was talking to Harper and somehow the topic of travel came up and I asked, I, I was like, Oh, do you have a favorite place that you've traveled to before? And at first you said, oh, well, I love Jackson Hole. And I was like, okay, that's nice. They do family vacations in Jackson Hole. How great. And then he said, uh, and also Thanksgiving in Dubai was really cool too. And I was like, who is this kid? And I was like, uh, (laughs) I was like, the, like, yes, the, the miles family is different, but I mean, at the same time, like, I feel like I was getting, uh, (laughs) lessons on being polite and having good manners from your kids at the same time. They're just so down to earth, just incredible kids. But, um, it's just like, it's so clear to me that that y'all have said we are not just going to do what everyone else does with regard to our time, with regard to our travel schedule, with regard to the business. Was that a concrete decision that y'all made a long time ago or has that been a progressive decision? Where did that come from? I think it was a concrete decision we made a long time ago, but I think it's manifested itself in different ways over the years. Um, We always knew that travel was important to our family and that we saw it as a way of expanding our view on God and learning more about his world and knowing that, you know, our white Christian upbringing is not the majority. It doesn't represent the most of the world. And so Dubai was a great example of that. Like, no, not a lot of people spend Thanksgiving in Dubai, but we wanted our kids to feel a little out of their comfort zone and know what it's like to be a minority in a really opulent place. I mean, it's not like we were on a mission trip. It's Dubai. ridiculous. Um, But our son's really into engineering and and we wanted to show him one of the engineering feats of the world mm. in Burj Al Arab, you know, in Burj Khalifa. It's so, it's just being able to like, to, to see things differently and to, to live a different kind of life, but do it in a way that um, is for the sake of, of our kids and our family mm. and, and definitely helping other business owners um, that we consult with, like, catch that vision too. Um, because at the end of the day, you know, if, if our business ends up consuming us and we're working like dogs and we're never taking time off and we're neglecting our relationship and our children, then what was it for? What was Mm. it for? So the more we can use our, our businesses, uh, for the benefit of our family and for others and, and not lose sight on the things that are most important, I pray that God will continue to give us more success in those businesses. Gosh, I love that viewpoint. That's so refreshing. And and honestly, like I can speak from experience. I feel like when I get to be, uh, I know the phrase I've heard Brian use is in y'all's damage path, right? Which that's a pretty yeah. intense way of phrasing it, but yeah, in y'all's right. damage, it's like uh, I can feel my vision and my sense of possibility growing. It's just such an inspiration. So I know y'all are doing that for other people as well. And at the same time, I think everyone experiences this, that anytime you start to break uh, from 
average expectations, right? Or anytime you start to break from what most people are doing, you always experience this resistance where it's almost like I've stepped out of the box and now a bunch of people want me to step back into the box. And it just feels like y'all's story is just multiple iterations. And I'm sure there were people the entire time that would have said, oh, you can't transition Belay to a CEO. Oh, you can't start a brewery in suburban Georgia. Oh, you can't do this own not run thing. Oh, you can't travel as much. as And y'all just keep doing it. So how do you, number one, have you experienced that level of resistance of other people's expectations, opinions, things like that? And then number two, if so, how do you break out of it, Shannon? I think we definitely experienced the, that resistance starting Belay. I don't know that I can say we've experienced it since then because I think a lot of people look at us like we have three eyes and they don't really know what to say to us. Maybe the point to illustrate on this though is if you do choose to live a life that's different than the average, um, you kind of become a lightning rod and, and you kind of... Um, it changes the way you interact with certain people who don't understand why you're doing what you're doing. And you got to be okay with evolving past those relationships too. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's, and you got to be okay not having to justify your decisions and your actions to other people as well. Gosh, was that a hard lesson to learn? It was for me. It was for me. I think less so for Brian, because he just, you know, doesn't really care much about (laughs) Unless he has respect for you and, you know, wants you to speak into his life, then he, you know, will allow that. But otherwise, he doesn't run the filter that I run of, well, what will, what will they think? Or how's this going to look? Or um, will people misunderstand me if, mm. um, if I do X, Y, Z? And I think that I, I had to break that in me. Well, and that's kind of what your book uh, is really all about is defining priorities for yourself, right? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Because I think we we all have have different paths. And I think when I was younger, I was judgmental of other people's paths. And the older I've gotten, the more I realized like, that's just such a foolish way to live. And I, I we, there's so much work to be done on myself as an individual that I should not be spending time assessing other people's decisions and you know, mm. mindset and, and placing my judgment on them. What do I know? Um, and so once I got to that point, I kind of realized, well, then what do I care if anybody else is doing it? You know, I, there's enough work for me to do on me that that should be my focus. Yeah. What does personal growth, personal work, personal involvement, things like we've talked about really throughout this conversation, what does that look like for you? How do, how do you do that work, Shannon? I mean, in my current state, um, I'm seeing a counselor and I'm going Me too. <laughs> big advocate of therapy. Um, yep. For the first time, it's not marriage counseling. This isn't like Brian and I trying to work through our, you know, different personalities or our conflicts in our marriage. This is just me working on me mm. um, with a counselor who I've allowed to go really deep and, and go back all the way to childhood trauma. And um, it has been one of the most mind-blowing, healing, surprising, gut-wrenching things I've ever done. Mm. And just a couple of weeks ago, I was like, so we can wrap this up now. We're good, right? And she's like, <laughs> well, we haven't really talked about these things that you initially talked about when you came to me. I was like, but we're good, right? And she's like, 
But I kind of think we need to talk about this. <laughs> it is not going to end anytime soon. Um, as much as I would like to not go back to the most painful things that have ever happened in my life, I found mm. that as much as I would like to avoid those, that's in my nature, um, that I, I've not really fully healed from them and been able to to grow. And so that's my path for growth right now is, is doing that deep work and understanding um, even subconsciously that the barriers that I have held for a long time that need to be broken through for this, for whatever God has for this next season for me. Mm. I don't know if you just subconsciously use the phrase path for growth or if that was an intentional name drop, Shannon, but regardless, I really, really appreciate it. And I appreciate your transparency because I, I will tell you the thing that pushed me over the edge uh, it was years ago to get serious about counseling in my life was hearing someone that I really respected and admired say that part of their superpower was that they went to counseling every week. And mm-hmm. so it just, it means a lot to me, but I know it means a lot to our listeners to hear that that's something that you do and you were operating from such a position of strength as a result, because I, it seems like sometimes we have these mental barriers around seeking help like that. Yeah. I hope that, current conversation has removed a lot of stigma of that. I hope that, you know, hearing better help advertise on your podcast, you know, makes it like, you know, people seek health therapy and it's actually a good thing. I think it's foolish to think that we can work through everything on our own or with our spouse or with our friends. I mean, there are just some things that you need a trained professional to guide you through because they're, they're too much of a burden to put on the people around you anymore. And so I, I love that that's, you know, part of your, I won't say it again. You know, <laughs> you can say it. You can say it as much as you want. <laughs> <Part of your, laughs> there we go. I like it. <laughs> uh, what are you most passionate about right now, Shannon? Okay. So as part of this, this therapy that I've been doing, it's kind of an interesting technique uh, without getting into that. Um, I've been practicing yoga for about mm, 14 years or so. And I've, I'm not like, I'm not, I don't know all the terms. I don't, I haven't studied all the energy part of it or the chakras and all that. You can get really deep into all of that, but I just, I enjoy so many aspects of it, but all that to say, I'm reading now this Eastern Western mind. And it's a book that addresses psychology and the chakra system as a path to health. And I'm, I'm not saying I'm like few chapters in. Okay. So I'm not like advocating for this, but I'm curious. I'm very curious because I think that there's so much about God and the body and mental health and energy and just a lot of things that I don't understand that I'm just, I'm, I want to learn. And so that's what I'm digging into right now. And psychology was one of my majors in, in school. So I'm like excited to like learn about it from a different angle. <laughs> Gosh. E- yeah. Eastern body, Western mind, right? Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I feel like right now I've got a Western body and a Western mind and it's fueled by steak and potatoes. So I should probably start going for the Eastern body. <laughs> you run like 22 marathons. <laughs> I mean, I, who am I to tell you? Yeah, but you should you should see me try and do a yoga move. It's I feel like every time I go to a yoga class, it ends up becoming personal training because they have to spend so much one on one time with me. Uh, it's horrible. It's so bad. <laughs> uh, okay, uh, before before we get to our last question, um, 
uh, how can people stay in touch with you? What are the things that you're involved in right now that you really want people to know about? I really want you to talk about both the brewery and own not run, because those are two things that I'm super passionate about that y'all are doing right now. So how can people follow you and Brian and everything y'all are doing, Shannon? Okay. So for me personally, I am at Shannon K miles on Instagram and Brian is at Brian miles, Brian with a Y. Uh, the brewery is Nofo Bruco. So if you like beer or just really cool merch, check that out. It's so, um, it's so, uh, it is so good. And did you hear the story about on the mountain? Did you hear this story? I, I did, but I feel like the listener needs to hear this. <laughs> in marketing and branding. Oh my gosh. We could do an entire podcast with y'all and the guy that runs y'all's brewery Joe, if we wanted to, yeah. and just talk about this. Cause I mean, this is just insane. I was with my, my brother-in-law and my sister in Colorado and we were doing this. It was a four 14 er day, which a 14 er is any mountain above 14,000 feet. And we got to the top of the first one. And we literally got up there and there were these two guys that had just gotten up there as well. And we asked them to take our picture and then talk to them a little bit. And simultaneously, this other guy that was part of a completely different group comes up the other side. And so ask, ask these other two to take our picture. They take our picture. Then we're about to leave. We say bye and everything. And then the guy asked me, he's like, hey, is that a North Forsyth Brewing Company hat that you're wearing? And I was like, shut up. You know about Nofo Bruco? And and he's like, oh my gosh, yes, I love that place. It's so freaking awesome. They just amazing beer, great vibe and all this. And then the other guy that came up the other side of the mountain, this is in Colorado in the breweries in Georgia. The other guy goes, Hey, are y'all talking about Nofo Brewing? There were literally there were there were three of us on the mountain, and all three of us had been there before to this brewery in Georgia. And I mean, just insane. And y'all are uh in your first year still with the we're, brewery, right? Yeah, the first week of October, we're going to celebrate our, our birthday. So, yeah. That's Thanks insane. So the and fact I- that you've got people... Yeah, the fact that y'all have people in in Colorado on top of mountains that have all heard of you is just amazing. So all that to say, they can follow it at Nofo Bruco, and the brewery is just outside of Atlanta, correct, Shannon? Yeah, it's, yes, exactly, North Forsyth. So, um, and then Belay, you know, belaysolutions.com. Um, I think we're Belay underscore solutions on Instagram. But yeah, if, so we're, I'll real quick plug. There's a ton of free resources on the Belay website for people who are working remote for the first time, leading remote for the first time. So even if you're like, I don't need any help right now, just if you need any resources around remote working and leadership, check it out. There's some great stuff that's free out there. Yeah, absolutely. And then how about own, not run? Oh, right. Yes. Own, not run.com. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I mean, they're doing a bunch of killer stuff on how to structure the company and all of that. So go follow them on Instagram too. Well, Shannon, um, I personally, for me, I'm just so grateful to know you and call you my friend. I'm so grateful that we got to share some of your story and some of your perspective and insight with our audience. But I think honestly, more than that, I'm just super grateful for the way you choose to live in alignment with the principles and the purpose that you stand for, uh, because it's made an impact on me. uh, And I know it just impacts so many people that you interact with every day. So thanks so much for your time, Shannon. There is so much wrapped into that conversation 
conversation with regard to how to effectively grow and scale a business without losing the soul of the business and the personality and also the quality of service that got you there in the first place. Uh, But I'll tell you, one of the phrases that I just can't get off my mind that she said really very early on in the interview, whenever she was talking about shifting from this place of uh, scarcity mindset and scarcity thinking to abundance thinking and an abundance mindset, she said that an abundance mindset was something that was learned. And then the second verb she used is what I absolutely love. It was tested. And I think that is so crucial, that abundance mindset is not something that we just think ourselves into having. An abundance mindset is not something that we can even just will ourselves into having. It's something that we have to act our way into having. And what I've learned, both from Brian and Shannon, and then also just in the process of starting this business, Path for Growth, is that you cannot achieve that type of thinking if you are unable and unwilling to take risk. But what's so cool is that when you step out and take a risk like Brian and Shannon did, like we've seen so many other business leaders and entrepreneurs do, it's really at the heart of creating something and leading something. There's a level of risk. There's always a level of vulnerability. But when you take that risk, that risk represents a test. And that's where that word comes in that she used. It was learned and tested. It represents a test. But whenever you have that test, eventually... You're going to make some mistakes and right. You're going to have some pitfalls. You're going to have some failures. You're going to have some fallbacks. But what does that do? Well, it actually gives you confidence because when you have the pitfall, when you have the failure, when you have the setback, you realize, oh my gosh, I didn't die. (laughs) I'm going to be okay. And it's okay to have setbacks. It's okay to make mistakes. And you learn that, okay, I can survive these things. But also at the same time, there's going to be moments when you face those tests, when you take that risk and it's actually going to work. And there will even be those times when it works better than you could have ever asked, dreamed, or imagined. And in doing so, your boldness, your confidence, and your ability to take more risk moving forward, to grow bigger, to grow greater, to grow grander in the future than you are currently right now, well, your ability to do that is going to expand. Your capacity is going to expand. I'm so grateful for Shannon. She mentioned a ton of resources and links to their social media, to those Belay free resources, also to everything surrounding Own Not Run. She even mentioned some books. We're going to put all of those things in the show notes. That's our podcast director, Zach, that does that. And we're so grateful for him for investing the time to provide those resources to y'all. So make sure you go check out those links. If you found value in this conversation and found value in Shannon's perspective, share that with us and share that with the people that you know. We'd love to hear what you learned. You can tag us on social media at Path for Growth or I'm at Judd on the Run. That always means so much to us whenever you engage in helping us spread the word about everything that we're trying to do with regard to this mission that is Path for Growth. You can also rate and review on Apple Podcasts, and that helps us make sure that this gets into the ears of people that have not yet heard of us. Y'all, we're rooting for you. We're grateful for you. Remember, my strength is not for me. Your strength is not for you. Our strength is for service. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. 